This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. She's the sweetest woman. It's just awful. A woman in her 80s murdered in her Vancouver apartment. He was jumping from side to side, front to back, hitting the horn. Truck trashed the large animal that destroyed this vehicle. And speaker under fire. An emergency meeting is planned in Victoria. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thank you for joining us. Vancouver police are investigating the city's 15th homicide of the year, and this one is particularly disturbing. An elderly woman was found dead in her East Van apartment suite. Grace Key now with more on what we know about the crime and the victim. For the past two days, police have been in and out of this East Vancouver apartment trying to determine who could have killed an elderly disabled woman. A family friend says a neighbor called the woman's daughter after hearing a scream early Saturday morning. She came here yesterday morning and found the mom's walker on her and on her bed. Michelle went and said, Mom, Mom, tried to wake her, but... Police say the victim is in her 80s. Her body was discovered at about 8 o'clock Saturday morning. The complex is located on Kingsway Avenue near Kerr Street. All day, police have been combing the grounds, collecting any possible clues that could lead to a suspect. A motive is unclear, and neighbors say the elderly woman has lived in the building for several years. Like why would someone do such a horrendous act to someone who is disabled? You know, like it doesn't make any sense. It's, it's, you know, she's a family person. She has children. I just don't understand how somebody could do that to a sweet old lady. It's just it's horrific. Police are asking for dash cam video if you were driving in the area of Kingsway Avenue and Kerr Street Saturday morning between midnight and 6 a.m. Or if you saw anything suspicious, you're asked to call Vancouver Police. Grace Key, Global News. A group of Metro Vancouver farmers has banded together to fight the provincial government's plan to limit the size of so-called mega-mansions on farmland. Bill 52 is designed to protect the agricultural land reserve. But as Paul Johnson reports, some farmers say the legislation is also limiting their efforts to run a business. Is this your dream home? If so, you might be on a collision course with Victoria where the NDP government wants to cap the size of homes that can be built on property in the agricultural land reserve. Research suggests people support it, but what about farmers? The consultation has to start with the farming community. This was a meeting of the BC Farmland Owners Association in Surrey Sunday. They say that if the government had bothered to ask them about Bill 52, they'd know there's another side to the story of the so-called scourge of the mega-mansions. We're all for preserving farmland. Gertie Albad is a farmer and realtor who specializes in farmland. Farming is not a one-person operation, it's a family operation. In a lot of cases, a joint family operation. Allow these farming family to build a home that is suitable for their needs. 
Here's what you might call a really big house on some farmland near Cloverdale. These farmers, though, were telling us that the reality of farming today means they need space for their families or even their extended families to make a go of it. That this isn't about property speculation or rental opportunities. The current bill would limit the size of new homes on ALR land to 5,400 square feet and would make that uniform across the province, regardless of local zoning laws. The government clearly has its own ideas about the economics of farming and farm housing. Every time you create something like a mega mansion on that land, what it ensures is that new and young farmers will never be able to farm that land. It also takes away from the capacity, if it's bigger than that, the capacity of that land base. But the Farmers Association is also pointing out another disconnect. The assumption that very large homes on farmland are just plain excessive. Many here say if you've got the means and desire to build big on your own property, who's to say that's wrong? One man's mega mansion is another man's home. Paul Johnson, Global News. Another big health care announcement from the provincial government today. Vancouver is getting its first urgent primary care center. The facility is designed for people who need medical attention that day, but not at the level of an emergency ward. The centre will be open for extended hours and on weekends, serving residents of the downtown and West End. The province hopes to have 10 urgent primary care centres open in B.C. by the spring of next year. So one of the things this place does, more so than an emergency room or some other forms of care that are provided that are kind of one-off forms of care, is it's connecting people to the system. And uh, so I think on both of those grounds, those are, uh, those are good reasons for people to come here. But if you have a health care emergency, you should go to the emergency room. And with more on today's announcement and other political developments, we're joined by our Legislative Bureau Chief, Keith Baldry. Keith, the health minister has been making quite a few announcements recently. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the fifth uh, urgent primary care center he, Adrian Dix, has announced. He's also greatly increased the number of MRI procedures and MRI machines and joint replacement surgeries as well. So he's been successful on that front. One area where he has not been successful, though, is his battle to shut down private clinics. And he lost a pivotal injunction battle on Friday to Dr. Brian Gay's, Day's uh, clinic, so that arguing that the clinic successfully arguing that the Medicare Protection Plan Act that Adrian Dix wants to use to shut the uh, clinics down should not be tested or, or not occur until after that marathon court case is finalized when we determine whether or not the clinics are actually legal. We caught up to Adrian Dix earlier today. He's disappointed, but he says he's just basically following the law of preventing extra billing. You know, British Columbia was fined $16 million last year by the federal government because there was illegal extra billing in British Columbia. That could pay for 55,000 MRIs. And I'm on their side the patient side who needs that care. So, Keith, switching gears now, there are new developments this weekend in the bizarre story of the House Speaker, Daryl Plekis, offering an emergency meeting to clear the air. What's this about? Yeah, I knew you'd ask me about that, Jordan. This is a story that won't go away. So, yeah, a battle or sort of an exchange of letters between the Speaker and Liberal uh, House Leader Mary Polak and, and other House leaders as well. So, uh, Daryl Plekis offering to meet with the House leaders Tuesday at 3 o'clock. That's basically at the very end of the, of the fall sitting of the legislature. He wants to wait till the last second. Mary Polak says that's not good enough. She wants an earlier meeting. She's willing to go as early as 7 a.m. tomorrow. Uh, basically, Mary Polak is looking for answers here. She's got 11 
questions she's posing, most of them to do with what kind of legal advice did the Speaker get and therefore pass on to her, Mike Farnworth and Sonia Furston or the Green Party, when they made that unprecedented and dramatic decision to put on administrative leave the clerk of the legislature, Craig James, and the Sergeant at Arms, Gary Lenz. She's hoping for some answers. I'm not sure where this story's headed, Jordan. It went in all sorts of different directions last week that nobody saw coming. So we're back at it tomorrow, and who knows what's going to happen next. Well, I would say we'll talk to you tomorrow, but at this rate, we might even be talking to you later tonight. Keith Baldry in Victoria. Yeah. Thanks, Keith. Okay. The situation involving the koi-eating otter in the doctor's Sun Yat-sen garden has taken another dramatic turn, with three more koi killed, bringing the total to ten. Staff are trying to relocate the remaining fish to the Vancouver Aquarium. But despite trying, for several hours Saturday, only one was eventually captured. Three fish may remain. The status of Madonna, the 50-year-old koi, is unknown. The fish usually gather when they hear a feeding bell, but they have not been responding, indicating they are stressed. And the otter remains elusive, despite experts being brought in to trap it. Well, if you live on the south coast, get ready for a nasty storm, one that could include flooding and power outages. Our meteorologist Christy Gordon is tracking these weather warnings for us tonight. Christy. That's right. So, Jordan, an atmospheric river is targeting the south coast, and it will for the next two and a half days, right through until Wednesday, potentially, with wind and rain. Now, these are the areas that are under a wind warning, a lot of areas in red, including the southwestern portion of Metro Vancouver. But keep in mind, we're going to see strong winds across all areas. Gusts up to 80 kilometers an hour, building tonight and continuing on and off through Wednesday. For the inner coast, I think the strongest winds will occur tomorrow afternoon. We are expecting power outages and I think you'll see delays in the ferries as well and then in addition to that significant rain some areas could see in excess of 100 millimeters by Tuesday morning so certainly localized flooding low-lying areas and pooling water on the roads is a concern and then in addition to that we have a king tide in place for the next few days so when I come back I'll show you how that will be affected by this storm just about everything at once all right yeah. thanks Christy it's been one week since a young terrorist man was struck and killed by a hit-and-run driver and left to die in a ditch. The community gathered to celebrate Cameron Kerr's life this afternoon. And tonight, his family and friends are speaking to Global News about the senseless loss. Kristen Robinson reports. He was so full of life, so passionate about everything. Kind and caring, passionate about paddling in the outdoors, and always smiling. That's how Garrett Kerr wants his brother to be remembered. You know, to lose him this way, like, he would never have done this. 30-year-old Cameron Kerr was walking home early on Sunday, November 18th, when he was struck by a hit-and-run driver four kilometers west of Terrace. As I was driving by, I, uh, I saw his hat and his boot laying in the highway, mm -hmm. and I, I knew what had happened. Oh, God. Kerr's hat, now part of the memorial that marks the ditch where his body was found, and someone left him to die. Cameron would have been kind enough to come back. He would have been compassionate enough to worry about that person's loved ones, and he would have been courageous enough to do the right thing. Days later, RCMP found what's believed to be the suspect truck on Haida Gwaii and identified a lower mainland driver as the suspect. You, you've taken a, a beautiful person inside and out from this world. The former Terrace River Kings player honored by the team Saturday night as his closest friends fill his house with memories. Everybody had a special bond with Cam, so he was really good um, at making people feel special.
The Carey siblings grew up with Kerr. Since we're, we're from the Lower Mainland, from this city, he always makes fun of me that, uh, that I can't catch a fish. And of course, every time he's around, I can't catch a damn fish. <laughs> the last time we saw him, he got to meet my baby daughter, Dawson. I think it's really sad that he's not going to be able to see her grow up. As Garrett Kerr awaits justice for his brother, he'll always remember a hunting trip the pair took this past fall. He just loved being on the river so much, and uh, yeah, and it ended up being the greatest trip we had. So, Kristen Robinson, Global News. Efforts are underway tonight to locate a bear that went on a rampage in Coquitlam this morning. A pickup truck was trashed before the bear escaped back into the woods. As Tanya Beja reports, it may have been some cinnamon buns that sparked the foray into human territory. He's destroying the inside of his truck right now. There he is. When Chad Atherton heard a commotion coming from inside his truck early Sunday morning, he suspected a thief had broken in. As I approached my window, I see that uh, there's something big in there and it is not happy. I don't know how well you guys can see this, but this is my, that's a bear in my car, my truck. Look, he can't get out. He opened the door. Now, I'm thinking he probably got it to about there, squeezed in, and then that just shut on him. Trapped inside for half an hour, the bear tried to tear and chew his way out. He was jumping from side to side, front to back, hitting the horn, ripping the door panels apart. Yeah, he was not happy. Atherton is used to seeing wildlife at the Coquitlam quarry he manages and doesn't leave food in his vehicle. But Coquitlam RCMP say shortly before targeting his truck, a bear broke into a nearby home and two other cars, downing a box of cinnamon rolls. <laughs> you see he left me a present there. The final end result was as he got back into that back seat and uh, managed to smash the rear passenger window and that's when he finally got out of the truck. He escaped into the woods. The BC Conservation Officer Service has put out a trap. I could be angry about this or I can just deal with it. And I'll lock my doors from now on. <laughs> Tanya Beja, Global News. And the bear experts say these types of bear scares are not the fault of the animals. It's the humans who are to blame. Well, it's important to not store food in your car, especially if um, you see bear signs around, either natural signs that bears have been there, like scat and scat scratches on trees, yeah. or on the North Shore we put up signs to alert people uh, of bear sightings so that they know they should be exerting more caution with their attractants so they're not bringing the bears in close to their homes. A standoff with police in Kelowna's lower mission area had neighbors stuck in their homes for hours today. This morning, come on, all this presence, you know, like the flashing lights and whatever. Jeez, guns drawn, you know, not pistols, rifles. RCMP were called to a home on Cook Road around 9.30 this morning to reports of a distraught man. This led to a standoff. Nearby homes were evacuated. Cook Road was blocked off and people were told to avoid the area while they talked to the man. Just after 1.30 this afternoon, a 40-year-old man turned himself over peacefully. He came out and he had his hands on his head and they laid him on the ground because a SWAT truck was pulled right in face first to the, to the building. Laid down, and after that, I don't know. You know, they must took him into custody. Moen told Global News that he heard three very loud bangs in the neighborhood around 11 last night that he thought sounded like gunshots. 
The Transportation Ministry is putting out another warning to truck drivers to make sure their loads are secure before they hit the road. Case in point is this rig that was pulled over in Delta this past week with what looks to be a snowcat of some sort dangling off the side. Commercial drivers are being encouraged to ensure load securement devices are not worn out and tie downs have proper workload limits. It's been something they've been proud of for some time, but now it's all but gone. And Jeff and Anthony are okay with that. The two members of the Semiamu Adam A2 hockey team had their locks chopped for a good cause today. They did it before their game to raise money for human hair wigs for cancer patients at BC Children's Hospital. In addition to the hair, which is being donated, the goal was two grand, and they've already more than doubled that. We're cutting our hair for kids that need to uh, have to go bald because they have cancer, and uh, we're donating our hair for wigs so they can make wigs out of it. I didn't like plan to do this when I first started, but then I found out you could do it, so I decided why not if I have the hair to do it. Welcome back. U.S. border authorities have closed the busy crossing between San Diego and Tijuana, Mexico, after hundreds of migrants made a run for it, some of them breaching the fence and throwing projectiles at agents. Mexico now vows to deport many of those involved. Drastic measures. The U.S. has shut down a major point of entry with Mexico after hundreds of migrants, desperate for entry into America, rushed the wall between Tijuana and San Diego today. Jorge Montaña says that he, like many, are worried President Donald Trump will make them stay in Mexico while seeking a better life in the U.S. We don't want to be in cage. We don't want to be in prison. Others are increasingly frustrated at living in camps and makeshift shelters. These migrants are fed up. They have left their shelter and they're heading to the San Ysidro point of entry. They plan to surrender in person and file for asylum before it's too late. But many broke through the police line, crossing under the bridge over a river filled with raw sewage. On the other side of the border, some San Diego residents rallying in support of the migrants. They are not criminals. These are people who are seeking to protect their lives and to rebuild their livelihoods. Others protesting the military might at the border. Does it feel like a war zone to you? It absolutely does, and I think it's just intimidation. Tonight, the border is shuttered. The migrants out of options for now, having nowhere else to go. Hans Nichols, NBC News, Tijuana, Mexico. In Alabama, there was an emotional plea for justice today from the family of a teen mistakenly gunned down by police outside a mall Friday night. Amantic Bradford Jr. was shot and killed by a uniformed police officer. Police initially fingered Bradford as a suspect, saying he shot an 18-year-old man and a 12-year-old girl during a fight and was seen pointing a gun. The next day, police admitted to shooting the wrong person. The officer involved is now on leave, but the family is demanding answers. Chief police needs to address it because that was unacceptable and it never will be unacceptable by my book, you know. And it hurts me to the core. My son is gone. I can't get him back. But you, you vilified my son like he was a straight criminal. He loved people. He was not a killer. And I want everybody to know that and understand that. That's who he was. He was a loving, a very loving person. 
The European Union is calling on Russia and Ukraine to de-escalate a tense situation in the Black Sea. Ukraine says three of its vessels were seized today by the Russian Coast Guard, including two that were fired upon. The Ukrainian Navy says two crew members were hurt. Russia has blamed Ukraine for illegally entering waters off Crimea. But according to a 2003 treaty, those waters are shared. In recent months, tensions have been escalating between the two countries over the passage. Tomorrow, Ukraine's government is expected to vote on declaring martial law over the conflict. After almost two years of negotiations, British Prime Minister Theresa May finally got the support she needed from all 27 members of the European unit, Union, Union rather, on a Brexit deal. While a major hurdle has been cleared, it still needs to be passed by the UK Parliament. And that won't be easy. That's still possible for Britain. Now it's time for everybody to take their responsibility. A stark message from EU leaders in Brussels Sunday as they urged the UK to back Theresa May's contentious Brexit deal. After years of tough negotiations, the British Prime Minister's plan finally has the approval of all 27 EU states. But the challenge is now in Britain, where it still faces furious opposition. EU leaders took barely half an hour to rubber stamp the 600-page agreement on Sunday after last-minute talks on Gibraltar cleared the way. The biggest question is now whether May's divided minority government can steer the deal through Parliament, where opposition is fierce. The agreement sees London following many EU rules to keep easy trade access and includes a backstop which could align Northern Ireland more closely with the EU if no other way can be found to avoid a hard border with the Republic of Ireland. May made a direct appeal to the British public on Sunday, writing an open letter to the nation urging everyone to save Brexit. She said the deal is in the, quote, national interest, one that works for everyone, whether you voted leave or remain. Talk back in Brussels included four possible scenarios if Parliament blocks the deal. A second referendum a general election to find a new British leader, a renegotiation with the EU, or simply that Britain will crash out of the bloc on March 29th. A small Nova Scotia town is in mourning over the tragic death of a young girl in a Santa Claus parade. It happened Saturday when the four-year-old fell under the wheels of a float. We have the latest from Global's Jeremy Keith in Yarmouth. Well, today this community is in mourning. The town of Yarmouth remains in shock one day after a four-year-old girl lost her life, resulting from an accident at the Santa Claus Parade. The annual procession was making its way through the intersection when the young girl somehow fell underneath one of the parade's floats. Although emergency response was on scene and transported the young girl to hospital, she was pronounced deceased shortly after arrival. It's hitting the small town particularly hard. Well, it was a Santa Claus parade, so there was a lot of people from the public, uh, people participating in the parade. So when something like this happens, it makes a fairly chaotic situation. The whole community is really grieving with, with the family and, and those that were involved. So it, it's about pulling together a community, making sure we're okay. The town of Yarmouth has enlisted the help of a grief recovery specialist who will set up at a local hotel this evening. They're encouraging anyone who's suffering stress as a result of this incident to attend. Meanwhile, RCMP say their investigation is ongoing to find out exactly how this happened. Jeremy Keefe, Global News, Yarmouth, Nova Scotia. 
A reward is being offered to find the person or people responsible for killing more than a dozen sea lions in the Seattle area. In the past two months, six sea lions have been found shot to death in central Puget Sound. Another seven have died from what's described as acute trauma caused by humans. A $5,500 reward is being offered for information leading to the arrest and conviction of those responsible. Well, it sounds like the opening line to a bad joke. A bear walks into a police station, but this was real. The bear appears to take a peek through the window of this vehicle inspection facility, then opens the door and wanders in. Eventually, it walks out the same way, followed by two armed officers. The bear wasn't caught, and there was no damage to the facility. Our second bear story tonight. He walked in on his hind legs yeah. like a person. Yeah, he knew what he was, he was doing. whistling and he was looking for donuts. Yeah. Yeah. Barry and Christy join us now and lots to talk about weather-wise. Yes, yeah, so we talked about the wind and rainfall warnings that we have in place. And I wanted to tell you about the king tides now. These are in place or going to be in effect right through until the 30th. So the next three highest ones will be tomorrow morning, Tuesday morning, and Wednesday morning. And that's right when we're going to see the wind and the rain. So always is a concern is the storm surge from those winds. And as well as the, uh, the waves can be a problem uh, once those king tides are in there. So uh, these are going to be south-southeasterly winds, so some of the areas we're concerned about are Boundary Bay, not as much the English Bay area, but then up along the Seashell, sort of that Sunshine Coast area. Also, the southern Gulf Islands uh, certainly could be a problem. So that's what we'll, we'll be watching, tomorrow being the first day, and then Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning as well. And you were saying ferry cancellations, certainly possible. Absolutely. With uh, strong winds, especially tomorrow afternoon, I think you could see some. Yeah. All right. And not a quiet day in sports. A lot of football going yeah. on. If you're a football fan, uh, earlier in the day it was the Seahawks and Carolina. Seattle played its best game of the year. I, I don't know how they did it, but they did come back and they won, and it's huge for their playoff implications. And, of course, right now it's the Grey Cup going on in Edmonton. Stampeders and Red Blacks will have highlights of that mid-fourth quarter right now in Edmonton. All right. Sounds good. See you guys next this episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Few minutes. Welcome back to the news hour. Engineering students at UBC Okanagan are looking for a new design for clothing donation bins. They hope the project will protect vulnerable people who can be hurt or killed trying to get inside. Jules Knox has the story. There are going to be two gears inside here. Engineering students using science to solve social issues, designing new, safer donation bins. Ones that won't trap or crush people digging for clothes inside. The problem was very local and something that we felt we could have a direct impact on. The project was given to first-year UBC Okanagan students after the death of Svetlana, a homeless woman looking for clothes. In July, she got stuck inside a Vancouver donation bin and died. That brought the death toll in clothing bins in the lower mainland alone up to three in four years. Our biggest challenge with the clothing donation bins is people are stealing donations from the, from the bins. And so it, it's a constant battle to keep people safe and out of the bins. 
These first-year students using 3D printers to design mini prototypes of new bins that fix the fatal flaw. The students are coming with different kind of uh, design. Some of them concern some electronics. Some of them uh, they implement perhaps uh, some mechanical devices. But the main goal is we stop people from getting hurt by these donation bins. There was no possible way. The big problem right now is people's arms being stuck in the mechanism. Often they're destitute people, they're cold, and they're looking for clothing to stay warm. So that was our main focus, is to design something with no pinch points and no areas for them to be trapped in. The goal is for fourth-year engineering students to manufacture a fully functional prototype of the top design and then test it in the community next year. Jules Knox, Global News, Kelowna. Families aboard the Polar Express in Squamish got some unplanned excitement yesterday. Just after 3 p.m., the train came off the rails. Thankfully, it happened within 40 meters of its destination and was only going 5 kilometers an hour. No one was hurt. We're told the problem has been fixed. And all Polar Express departures were back on track today. A 76-year-old snowfall record was shattered Friday as Calgarians found themselves navigating a nasty evening commute. 13.2 centimeters fell Friday, which breaks the previous November 23rd record of 9.4 centimeters in 1942. Despite a snowfall warning issued early Friday evening, Calgary police say there were nearly 400 crashes in 12 hours. No snow for the lower mainland, Christy, but it sounds like we have just about everything else heading our way. That's exactly right. Well, some snow for the interior regions. I'll break that down in a second. But yes, uh, everything else for the south coast, wind and rain. And the wind or the rain is starting to take over right now. But I showed you this earlier, this massive atmospheric river that will continue to funnel moisture and bring strong winds to our region over the next few days, potentially into our Wednesday morning. How much rainfall by Tuesday morning? Anywhere from 60 to 100 plus. The hardest hit areas will be along the mountain. Mountains uh, on Vancouver Island and as well across the Lower Mainland. So a wide range across the Lower Mainland, areas like White Rock, Abbotsford, not nearly as much as areas towards the North Shore and certainly up towards Squamish. And I would think that this number is overdone, but it just gives you perspective of the range in amounts that we'll see, and it will be significant with that wind as well. So power outages, certainly a concern, especially later tomorrow. Here's an, uh, um, a tip for you. If you do see a down power Power line. It is recommended that you actually stay 30 feet away from that power line because it has the potential, the current has the potential of actually traveling through the ground. Meanwhile, we have uh, snowfall for the mountain passes, but it's mainly overnight tonight and through the morning hours tomorrow because temperatures here are also going to warm up. But during that transition, we will see snowfall and a risk of freezing rain. And the reason for that is, is we tend to get the warm air air, warm air rises, so it rises up and over the colder air. So in that transition period, we get freezing rain, which is slick black ice, and then we can get some sleet. And I've already had some reports of sleet being reported in the Caribou region. Uh, keep sending me your reports. It's very helpful to see where that's happening. Sleet tends to be uh, bounces sort of off the uh, roads, but it can be uh, rather icy as well. If you're ever caught in black ice, it's recommended 
that you keep your steering wheel straight and do not put your brakes on. Instead, just pull your foot off the accelerator in order to slow down, and that will help your situation uh, significantly. Now, here's your forecast for the northern regions. We are going to see wind and rain all across the north coast, extending down into the central coast as well. Further inland, there's a chance you may see some wet snow overnight with that risk of freezing rain before temperatures warm up during the day tomorrow and that freezing level climbs and you're looking at just rain. So most of these areas could see a bit of wet snow again overnight. Certainly snowfall at higher elevations with that risk of freezing rain and then conditions warm up in the afternoon. We're going to see mild conditions across this region. So uh, Average high for our area is 8 degrees, so we'll be warming up to 11 degrees, but we'll see that wind and rain. And again, it will build overnight, but I think the strongest winds will be tomorrow afternoon for our area. We'll also see heavy rain throughout the day and into our Tuesday as well, potentially into our Wednesday morning as this atmospheric river continues to funnel moisture towards our area, leaving you with a beautiful shot from Pacific Spirit Park. I think we needed that shot. Thanks, Christy. Yes. Things are looking good for Calgary. They are. The Grey Cup's coming to a close. If you maybe had a little too much at your uh, Grey Cup party or just coming to, I can yeah. fill you in on what happened right now. Don't change the channel. <laughs> Don't change. All right. Thanks, Jordan. Uh, the Red Blacks and Stampeders are no strangers to the Grey Cup game of late. This is Calgary's fourth appearance in the last five. Ottawa's in for the third time in five years. Each team has a victory. Tonight in Edmonton, they clashed yet again. Uh, the Red Blacks beat the Stamps in overtime to win the Grey Cup in 2016. Calgary, losers of the last two big games, trying to make good this time. Bo Levi Mitchell, perfect throw here to Lamar Durant. Great grab, dives in for the touchdown. The former Centennial High School and SFU star gives the Stamps a 14-3 lead. But late in the half, Ottawa with a big play from Julian Fioli Godino. Just refuses to go down on this play. Bowls his way in for the touchdown. It's a 55-yard play. Two-point conversion was good, and the Stamps' lead was cut to 14-11. But the Stampeders answer with a huge momentum swing play. Terry Williams with the punt return in the dying seconds of the half. Footing a little slick in Edmonton tonight. Advantage to the guys with the ball. Williams explodes. 97-yard touchdown return. It's a Grey Cup record for distance for a punt return touchdown. 21-11 Calgary at the half. The defensives have dominated the second half. Ottawa going for it on third and short deep in Calgary territory. But Brad Sinopoli separated from the ball. Calgary's defense coming up large, and it looks like Calgary's going to hang on. They're up 27-14 very late in the fourth quarter. The Seahawks had a chance today to really get the inside track on the NFC wildcard chase. If Seattle could get a win at Carolina, that would move them past the Panthers and set them up for a home-heavy stretch drive where they play four of their last five at CenturyLink Field. But first things first, got to beat those Panthers. And Cam Newton and the Panthers 5-0 and at home this year. Their first drive, they decided to go for it on fourth and one inside the five, but the Seahawks defense makes a statement. They stuff Newton just short of the first down. Panthers get nothing. Second quarter, Seahawks were down 10-3. Russell Wilson to a wide open Trey Madden, a rare touch for the fullback, just short of the goal line, but the Seahawks would punch it in for the touchdown. Seattle trailed 13-10 at the half. Third quarter, Carolina driving again. 
But again, the Hawks defense comes up big. Bradley McDougal with the interception in the end zone. Panthers with another missed opportunity to extend the lead. Seahawks ground game held to just 75 yards. But Chris Carson gets some style points for this effort. Up and over the complete flip and sticks the landing. He's part cat. Amazing. That led to this Russell Wilson to Tyler Lockett touchdown just across the goal line. They reviewed it, but the touchdown stands, and Seattle had its first lead 17-13, but it didn't last long. Christian McCaffrey caps off a 75-yard drive, bowling his way in for the TD, 2017 Carolina. The Hawks had no answers for McCaffrey, who had a career day, 125 yards rushing, including this 59-yard romp. Also had 11 catches for 112 yards, 237 total yards for McCaffrey, who gets his second TD of the game on third and goal. Panthers seemingly doing what they want on offense, 476 total yards. They led by seven, but the Hawks were slow clut or so clutch with the game on the line. Fourth and three. Wilson goes for it, and are you kidding? David Moore for the touchdown, 35 yards. Seahawks tie at 27-all. Panthers again moved into scoring position. Graham Gano from 51 yards out. Had yet to miss from beyond the 50 this year, but that streak ends. Pushes it right, and the Seahawks have time to go win this thing. And once again, it's Russell Wilson. Buys some time and then goes deep to Tyler Lockett. A 43-yard gain down to the Carolina 10. Wilson 339 yards passing, and so many of those completions with the game on the line. That sets it up for Sebastian Janikowski from 31 yards out, drills it, and somehow the Seahawks pull off an improbable victory, 30-27. They're now 6-5. They control their own destiny to make the playoffs. A gutsy, gutsy road win for Seattle. Meanwhile, the Seahawks also trying to chase down the Vikings, who are hosting the Packers right now in the Sunday nighter. Green Bay will strike first. Aaron Rodgers to Devontae Adams, 15-yard TD, 7-0 pack. The Vikings tied it up, but the Packers regain the lead in the second. Aaron Jones around the outside on a six-yard TD rush, 14-7 pack. But the Vikings respond as these two NFC North rivals go back and forth. Kirk Cousins going 30 yards to a wide-open Stephon Diggs, 14-all, and that is the score very late in the second quarter. Patriots and Jets from New York, Belichick and Brady, Getting an old weapon back in the lineup. Gronk returns. Rob Gronkowski playing his first game in a month, and Brady hits him over the middle. A 35-yard missile to Gronkowski doing what he does best, making a tough catch in traffic, ties it at seven, and then later Brady to Julian Edelman, who does the rest, races in for the TD. Patriots win at 27-13. They improve to eight and three. And we got Steelers-Broncos from Denver. How about some trickery? Steelers line up for the short field goal, but it's a snap to the kicker, Chris Boswell, who finds offensive lineman Alejandro Villanueva for the touchdown. What a call. Ben Roethlisberger loves it. 10-10 at the half. Third quarter, uh, quarter, Steelers on their own three. Roethlisberger from his own end zone just gets it off in time to Juju Smith-Schuster. And Juju does the rest. Blazing speed finishes with the stiff arm. A spectacular 97-yard catch-and-run touchdown. 17-10 Pittsburgh, but it wasn't enough. Broncos come back in the fourth. Philip Lindsay two-yard touchdown run, and the Broncos end the Steelers' six-game win streak, 24-17 the final. 
Welcome back. The Canucks are back home, resting comfortably after finally snapping their long losing streak last night in L.A. It has been a draining stretch of games for this team, playing without five key regulars in the lineup. But now they get a few days off to rest up and hopefully get some healthy bodies back. Alex Edler returned yesterday. Canucks have a lot of home games in the next month to help get them back to their winning ways. Last night in L.A., Canucks played their 17th road game, most in the NHL. Second period, this is a relief for... Adam Gaudet as Jake Vertanen sets up Gaudet for his first NHL goal. Took him 24 games to get it. Hopefully they'll start coming in by the dozen now as his first NHL goal. Third period tied at two as Jake gets the puck. Dion Phaneuf, oh, read perfectly by Elias Pettersson. And the super Ricky snaps home his 13th of the year. You might as well just give him the Calder Trophy now. That was the game winner. Canucks win 4-2. Host the Kings again on Tuesday night at Rogers. NHL today, Flames and Coyotes from Phoenix. Mike Smith, the former Coyote in net for the Flames. He was not tested at all. It was all Calgary. Noah Hannafin on the power play. That's his second of the game. Made it 3-0. The Flames got three shorthanded goals, including this one by Mark Jankowski. They got two on one penalty. 6-1 the final. Flames now lead the Pacific with 29 points. Five up on the Canucks. FIFA Girls Under-17 World Cup. Canada-Germany in the quarterfinals today from Uruguay. No scoring in this one until late, and it's Canada's captain, Chilliwack's Jordan Heidema, with the historic strike, her third goal of the tournament, and it stands up as the game winner. You can hear them shriek with joy all the way from here. 1-0 the final, so Canada will play Mexico in the U-17 World Cup semis on Wednesday. Spain and New Zealand meet in the other semifinal. What a great result for Canadian soccer. Meanwhile, in the MLS playoffs, Portland and Sporting Kansas City late in this match in Portland. Scoreless, Atlanta beat New York 3-0. These are the first games in two-game aggregate series. EPL Sunday, fifth place Arsenal taking on eighth place Burnmouth at 29th minute. Arsenal on the attack, and they benefit from some friendly fire. Jefferson Larma had good intentions, but he knocks the ball into his own net. Arsenal will take it. They lead 1-0. And then in the 66th, the Gunners get the game winner from Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang with the sliding finish. Arsenal win 2-1. They're now just a point behind fourth place Chelsea. Some NBA action. Raptors and Miami Heat. Toronto with an NBA best 16-4 record. Kamloops 7-footer Kelly Olenek hits the three for the Heat. He had 11 tonight, but Miami trailed by nine at the half. The Raps pretty much cruised in this one. Kawhi Leonard blowing by the defender, throws it down. He led Toronto with 29. As the Raptors take it 125-115, they are now 17-4. and BC High School football last night. The semifinals from BC Place, New West and Terry Fox. Rematch of last year's championship game, won in dramatic fashion by the Hayax. Not much drama last night. Quarterback Kinsale Phillip to Matthew Laloon for the 26-yard touchdown. All new Westminster. They won it 33-0. And earlier, Mount Doug from Victoria took on Van College. Second half, Mount Doug leading 14-6, and they will add to it thanks to this Gideon Kremler touchdown pass to Sebastian Hansen. One of three TDs on the night for Hansen. The Rams led 21-6. Van College rallied to tie it at 28. But on the final play, Jackson Reed hit the 27-yard field goal. And Mount Doug, in dramatic fashion, are going to the Subway Bowl Finals against New Westminster after beating Van College 31-28. So that final next Saturday at BC Place. 
Here's your snow report for today. Whistler Blackcomb opened three centimeters of fresh snow last night. Grouse, Cypress, and Sasquatch will open in not too long. Revelstoke, Fernie, and Manny Park will open later this week. Whitewater on December 7th. Big White, Silver Star, and Sun Peaks all open. Big White getting a nice dump last night of eight centimeters. Not bad basis for this time of year as well. Silver Star at 91. Kicking Horse Mount Washington will open on December 7th. Powder King is already open with five centimeters last night. Hard to believe Christmas is exactly a month away. Mm. So we have a Christmas end story for you. In San Francisco, a holiday tradition has opened its doors to the public. Situated inside the Fairmont Hotel, a life-size gingerbread house reaches 7 meters tall and 10 meters wide. It includes a dining room with seating for 10. It's made of 6,000 bricks of gingerbread, 3,300 pounds of royal icing, and more wow. than 1,600 pounds of candy. We put our Christmas tree up yesterday. Did you? Is that wrong? <laughs> no, no mine's already up. I think that's late for a lot of people around here. Yeah, a lot yeah. of, ours is up. We had a Twitter poll though today yeah. that most people said it's too December early. 1st, December 1st usually 1st. I guess is kind of the unofficial. Yeah. You can make your own gingerbread house. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Quick word on the weather. Sure. Wind and rain on the way. See you later. <laughs>